We're still doing our sermon on ways that we worship. So turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you flip your Bible straight open, it will probably be about in the Psalms. Back up a couple books. Before the Psalms is Job, before Job is Esther, before Esther is Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8, and today we're going to be talking about preaching. So I'm going to be preaching on preaching. And probably that one doesn't surprise you. I don't think any of the ones we've done so far have been surprising. If you went, if you talked to somebody after this afternoon and they said, oh, yeah, you went to church today, what happened in your service? And you said, oh, we, we sang, we prayed, there was an offering, we listened to the preacher. Yeah, it, I, folks are, are going to nod at that. This is, this is part of what we do in our worship service. And we're not asking the question when we talk about ways we worship, why do we do it? We do it because it's commanded. All throughout the scriptures, preaching is commanded. We are commanded to preach and teach Jesus. That's one of the main things he did when he was here. He, he taught, he preached. We're asking the question, of, okay, what should that look like in us? What should it look like what, that we have preaching? What, what should I be doing? What should you be doing? What should this be like? And Nehemiah 8 is this great story that answers those questions. So follow along with me, if you will. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm actually going to start. The sentence starts like uh, right before in the end of chapter 7. So we'll start there and go through the whole chapter. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and all who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the preacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, and yes, I did practice those many times before reading them to you, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priests, and teachers of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters 
during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in the courtyards or in the courts of the house of the Lord, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Now, as we read this, there's two groups, right? There's, there's the me group. There's the preachers, there's the teachers, there's the guys that are up there reading the law and explaining it, and then there's the you group. There's the people, there's everyone who's listening. Did you notice how this story started? Like, how, how would a church service begin? I mean, if I was writing this, I would say, you know, Tim and the pastors, we got together, we arranged the service, we invited all of you to come. How does this story begin? Verse one, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The teacher does not call the people. The people call the teacher. The people want this. They have all come together as one, and they are calling out to the priests. Come and teach us. Bring us the law. Why? Because the Lord had commanded it for Israel. Because they want to know what God has to say to them. They want to hear from God's law. Ezra doesn't call them. They call him. You know, the first third of this passage has nothing to do with preaching. I mean, that's what I expected when I, I, you know, I was looking through things like, okay, what passage am I going to use? And I was listening to sermons and all that. I'm like, oh, this, this seems like a good one from the stuff I read. I thought, oh, it will all be about preaching, right? That's why people are using it. Only the middle third of this passage is about preaching. The first third is about the people, and the last third is about the people. It's about how we should come to hear preaching, and it's about how we should respond to preaching. And the first thing that happens is that they want this. They are calling Ezra to teach them because it's the word of the Lord. It's the word that the Lord has commanded. You know, when you come here on a Sunday, why do you come? Are, are you expecting anything? Are you coming just because we are putting on a service? Because we are. We have staff meeting every Tuesday, and a good bit of that staff meeting is devoted to, what are we doing this Sunday? You know, as Tim says, great job last Sunday, everybody. What have you done for me lately? Because we're doing it again next week. We are putting on a service, and we are inviting you. But how are you coming? Like, do you want this? Okay, be totally honest with yourself. If you heard this morning, uh, church is canceled, there's been a problem with the HVAC, etc., we're not meeting What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Is the first thing that goes through your mind, awesome, free Sunday? Or is the first thing that goes through your mind, what? I, I, I'm not going to hear from the Lord? 
through preaching this morning? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but for me, if I'm honest, my first thought is often, oh, sweet, I don't have to go. These people, they don't have to go. They want to go. They, they, they want it. They want to hear from God. That's the first thing. Like, that just jumped out at me when I read this. Like, wait, that's backwards. They don't assemble and call the preacher. The preacher calls them to assemble. Yeah, no, no, not for these guys. The whole first third of this passage is all about our attitudes when we come. So we're told Ezra gets up there, and this is kind of an overview. You know what I told you these guys? They kind of tell stories like this. So we're going to sort of tell the whole story real fast, and we're going to go back and get some more details. Ezra gets up. He preaches from daybreak till noon, six hours at least, he preaches. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. For six hours, everyone is listening. And we all know the difference between listening to someone drone on because we have to be there and paying attention. We, we want to hear this. This is important. Again, how do, you, how do you come? When you come here in the mornings, do you come thinking, I'm going to hear from God? Our God is a God who speaks. He has given us, I mean, that's a lot of speaking. And we're going to hear from him because he has said, this is what we should do. The commands are all over scripture. Preach, teach. He wants this to happen. Do we come on a Sunday morning together thinking, I am going to hear from God this morning and I'm going to listen and then the Lord is going to speak to me. That's what these folks are doing. They're coming expectantly. They're listening Look what happens when Ezra actually opens the book in verse 5. So we're kind of looping around, going back to the beginning, right? He opens the book. Everybody sees him. The first thing he does is not to read or to preach. It says in verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. Notice how the people respond. They lift their hands and they say, amen, amen. We've talked about amen's a Hebrew word. It means, in this case, it means yes, absolutely, I totally agree. Ezra says, the Lord is a great God and we praise him. And all the people throw their hands up and say, yes, yes. And then they bow down and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground, literally their nose on the ground. The first one, the hands up, the amen, that's a posture of praise in their world. They're putting their hands up in, in praise to God. And to be face down in front of someone is a posture of submission. Before Ezra reads scripture or preaches anything, the people, that their attitude is praise of the great God and submission to the great God. That's what they're doing before anything else happens. Again, how do we come? The whole first story, the first six verses out of 18, they're all about how we come to hear the word of God. Do we come expectantly? Do we come thinking God's going to speak to us? Do, do we listen? Is our attitude one of, yes, you are a great God. We praise you and we submit to you. Or do we come kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. I'll listen to what Jeff has to say. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. 
Maybe I won't. I have other priorities. As we'll see going through, if you're not going to submit to the word of God, you are in the wrong DCC. Okay? If you go out on Dunwoody Club, take a right, go about two miles, the other DCC is right up the road. It's Dunwoody Country Club. Okay? They will not ask you to obey or submit to anything. Right? They will feed you, you can hang out, you can listen to music, you can play golf. We're a Bible church. Everything we do is going to come out of this book. If you're not interested in doing what this book says, seriously, you're in the wrong DCC. You will enjoy the other one much more. The people come. They're, they're expecting. They want to hear. They're, they're paying attention. They praise God and they submit to God. Now, I'm going to do a quick aside here. Okay, So, do you notice both these things they're both postures. It's telling us what's going on inside them, not by saying, and they had hearts of praise, and they had hearts of submission. It's showing us their posture, their arms in the air, or flat on their face. If you look at me over here worshiping, during our, when we do the singing time, you will see me with my hands in the air. I started that eight years ago. Okay? Never did it before in my life. It's not really me. Like, I grew up with Mr. Spock as my role model. You know, I, just this whole thing. I went to a football game with my wife like a month or so ago. At the point when everyone else is leaping and jumping and yelling, go, go, go. My strongest emotional reaction is to look at my wife and go, wow, that was a great catch. Right? I mean, that's it. That, that's the full range of my emotions. When the Braves won the pennant, oh, excellent. When Atlanta blew a 28-point lead and lost the Super Bowl, yeah, bummer. I mean, that's it. That, 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 is, that is as happy and sad as I get about most things. I, I'm just, I'm not an emotional person. So I always thought to myself, why would I raise my hands? I don't raise my hands anywhere else. I don't jump up and down anywhere. That's not me. So my posture should reflect who I am. And then eight years ago, when I, there were two of us as the pastors of the church, me and a guy named Brian Marvel, we were co-pastors. Brian preached a sermon, and he made the same aside I'm making, and he said this same thing. He said, you know, I always thought my posture should follow my feelings. My posture should follow my personality. He said, I've changed. I've decided, you know, maybe I should make my feelings follow my posture. And so he said, I've, I've started putting my hands in the air when I worship. And I thought, Wow. And so I tried it. It's made a huge difference. It's made a huge difference in my ability to worship. Yes, sometimes I feel stupid. Yes, sometimes I feel self-conscious. I sit in the front, so that way I can't see any of you looking at me. Right? It's like, it's still not me. I still don't jump up and down at football games. My personality hasn't changed. But wow. Wow, my feelings, they, they will follow my posture. Like, when I'm furious at God, just so angry, I go down on one knee. I tell him, wow, I'm mad at you. <laughs> I'm so mad at you. But I'm your servant. I don't do what you say. Posture helps. It helps change what goes on inside. Let me invite you. You're not commanded to do this. And this passage isn't teaching about posture, right? This passage is teaching about preaching and how we respond to it and what it should look like. You don't got to do this. It is an invitation. It is an invitation to look stupid and throw your hands in the air when you sing, praise the Father 
praise the Son. From a throne in endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Oh my God. (laughs) It's an invitation to let your posture change your heart. To to, to move it, to swing it. You don't have to. Nobody's going to think better or worse of you if you do or don't. But somebody made that aside to me eight years ago, and wow, it has made such a difference for me. I invite it to make a difference for you as well. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled sermon. Finally now, finally in verse 7, we get to me. It's been all you, everything you have to do. Finally, we get to me. All these people were told about. They instructed the people the law while the people were standing there. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. That's the best definition of preaching I can think. They read from the book of the law. This is where all preaching starts, okay? The day I stand up here and talk to you without reading from this book first is the day you should find another church. If I tell you all about my experiences and all about my thoughts and all these things that happen, that's great as long as it comes back to this. Wow, there's a lot of guys in the world today standing up in pulpits telling you what they think and what's happening and everything else without ever bothering to read this. This is where we start. They read from the word of God, the book of the law of God. They made it clear, which probably means they translated it. The the, the law for Moses, we're in the 400s BC. The law of Moses is from the 1400s BC. It's in Hebrew. These guys speak Aramaic. Now they're related. They have a lot of the same words, but probably they're having to explain what some of these old Hebrew words from a thousand years ago mean to these people. They don't recognize them. And that's what I have to do for you lots of times. That's why I read this passage in Hebrew and study it. That's why I read the New Testament in Greek and study it. There's stuff that doesn't come through. I have to translate it. I have to explain it. They gave it meaning so that the people understood what was being read. That's on me. That's my job, is to make it clear, to make it so you can understand it, so that a book written from 2,000 years ago to 3,500 years ago, that you get it. It's like, oh, when you walk out of this room, my job is to make sure you are saying to yourself, oh, okay, that's what, I get it, that's what it means. That's my job as the preacher, is to give it meaning, to help you understand, to to flesh it out, so that you know what they were saying. All, All that implicit knowledge, all that history, everything else that's going on. You've come into the middle of a conversation, Nehemiah 8. My job is to help you understand, to to fill it out so that when you walk out those doors, okay, I got it. Now, notice what happens next in verse 9. So you've got all these guys, they're all preaching, they're teaching, they're explaining, and they say to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. The people had heard the scriptures, and they had responded wrong. They had responded with grief. We don't know what they were reading. We don't know what's happening. I mean, you know, we could toss out some ideas, right? Maybe they're reading the laws and people are like, oh my gosh, we're not doing that. Maybe they're reading the curses for disobedience and people are thinking, we're all doomed. We don't know. But whatever they're hearing, whatever's being explained to them, their response is mourning. And that's the wrong response. 
All the teachers say that to him. That's the wrong response. Nehemiah says it, Ezra says it, the Levites say it. This is not something you should be mourning about. They've misunderstood. They've misunderstood something about the scriptures. So the teachers give them the application, right? The application, in this case, what they've heard is don't mourn. That's not what you should be doing. Okay, now anybody ever been told, oh, don't cry, don't be sad. Isn't that super helpful? Doesn't that just change your opinion immediately? So notice what Nehemiah does in verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. See, there's the command from scripture, don't mourn. You're, you're, you're applying the Bible wrong. That is not what you should be doing. This is a day of celebration, not mourning. And Nehemiah then gives them some practical application. How can you do that? Ezra's been preaching for six hours. They're probably hungry. Nehemiah says, why don't you get some lunch? Let's take a break here, everybody. Ezra, just hold it. We're just going to put a pin in it right here. Go have a nice lunch. And find some people that don't have what you have and share with them. I don't know, maybe that means people who came in from the villages, right? They didn't think the guy was going to preach six hours. He didn't bring lunch. Maybe he means the poor in the city. We don't know. But if you're down, if you're mourning, if you're upset, right? The preacher says to them, hey, go have a nice meal. You'll feel better. Find some people less fortunate than you and help them out. Because I don't know about you, but when I am down, sitting and stewing about it is generally not helpful, Going out and helping somebody else? Oh, yeah, wow, that'll change your attitude. That'll turn you around. Do you see what Nehemiah is doing? He's taking the command. Hey, you're doing it wrong. Don't mourn. And now he's giving them some practical advice on how to obey. He's not giving them super specific advice. He's not like, okay, I want you to go home and eat two cheeseburgers, a small fry, and an eight-ounce chocolate milkshake. He's not telling them exactly what to do. He's telling them generally what to do. Go have a nice meal. Have some lunch. Have some, find some people who, who don't have anything and invite them over. Share with them. Nehemiah is giving them some practical ways to help them obey. And that's on me too. That, that Nehemiah is part of the preacher group. That's me. When I explain scripture to you, I have to help you to obey. I have to give you ways for you to obey. I have to explain things, not just say to you, go and don't mourn. Because who in the world can just not mourn? I have to give you some practical applications. Say, we could do this. Why don't you try this? And you'll hear me do that all the time in sermons, right? I'll say, look, I don't know. I'm not you. I don't know how this could affect you. But you, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. I'm going to do it at the end of this message just like I do in all messages. That's on me. Right? Now, what happens? Verse 12. All the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. They do it. Nehemiah tells them, look, go have some lunch. Give lunch to other people who don't have it. And they obey it. They do what he says. Look at the last thing he said to them in verse 10. Do not grieve, again, that's the command, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, strength there, translation, strength means a place of strength. It's not strength like, hmm, I can lift, you know, huge 
things of, of heavy weights. It, it's a refuge, a fortress. And in fact, if, if you're not reading the NIV, if you're reading a different version, it may say something like fortress or refuge or stronghold. The joy of the Lord, God's joy, Nehemiah says, is where you ought to be running to. Because I think the people are mourning and that they're turning away from God. And he's like, no, no, God's excited about today. God's not upset. God's happy. I mean, okay, I cannot speak directly for the Almighty, but people are coming together and asking someone to read the Bible to them and explain it to them. And when they are told the Bible says go do this, they go and do it. I'm pretty confident God is excited about this day. Nehemiah says, no, no God, God's joyful about today. Don't be sad. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Let God's joy fill you back up. This is a great day. God is excited. And so what happens? They celebrate with great joy. Verse 12. They obey, and exactly what Nehemiah said should happen, happens. They have great joy. Now they understand the words that have been known to them. They hadn't understood before. They'd misunderstood. They'd taken what they heard of the Bible and applied it wrongly. And Nehemiah, Ezra, these other guys, they, they show them how to apply it correctly. And they obey, and they have great joy. And in case you missed that point, we're going to tell that story again. The next day, they get back together. They're leading, listening to the law, and they hear in the law a command. We get the command at the end of verse 15. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from the olive and wild olive trees, from myrtles, palms, and shade trees, to make temporary shelters. Thus it is written. That is a command from God in Leviticus, right? That is not a command like don't mourn. That's a command like go do it. You don't got to explain that. Go get some wood and build a lean-to outside your house. So what happens? Verse 16. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters. They obey. It's just, I mean, this, this is, you know, there's commands that take work and energy and time, like don't mourn and that are processes. And there's our commands that are just do it. They do it. They go off, they get the branches, they come back, and they build these temporary shelters. They're lean-tos, basically. And what does it say at the end of verse 17? They, nobody ever celebrated like this since the time of Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua, son of the Nun, is the 1400s. We are in the 400s. For the last thousand years, the author says, nobody celebrated like this. And their joy was very great. The first time they obeyed, it was great joy. Now it's very great joy. And the first time they obeyed, that was kind of fun, right? All right, you know what? Everybody, you need to go have a nice meal, right? Well, okay, I guess I can go suffer for Jesus at Bones. I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll manage. The first thing they're told to obey, that's good. This, go make lean-tos and sleep in them for a week, right? They have houses. We know that from other places in Scripture. Many of them have really nice houses, we're told. It kind of makes God mad later that they're spending all their time and money on making their houses look so good. They have nice houses, and they've just been told to go sleep outside under a lean-to made out of sticks of wood. Anybody seen Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh, right? That's where you're going to live for the next week, right? Go have a nice lunch. Yes, definitely want to obey that. Go live in Eeyore's house, eh, not so much. But they obey. They do it, and they have very great joy. They have even more joy than they had the last time. It's not the situation. It's the obedience. Obedience leads to joy. They understand 
what the scriptures tell them to do. The, the teachers help them. The teachers explain, give them advice and suggestions and those sorts of things when they need it. But they understand it and they obey it and they have joy. You remember last week I told you that you're, you're foolish not to be giving away money. It is free blessing. You're foolish not to obey because it's joy. Again, it's not that all the things God's gonna tell you to do are things you're gonna like doing. I don't know about you, but you know, love your enemy as yourself and consider others more important than yourself. Those are not high on my list of things I want to do. But obedience leads to joy. It's my job to explain this to you so you understand. It is your job to come with hearts that will receive it and to leave and obey. Because if you don't come with a heart to receive it, then you're not going to hear it. And if you don't leave and obey, then this is a TED talk. You've heard some really interesting things about a very ancient document. But if you will obey, if you will take what the scriptures say and you will obey, then you will have very great joy. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says. That's your refuge. That's your stronghold. That's where you hang out. You hang out in God's joy. And, it, and we see it. It happens to them when they obey. And we're told in this very last sentence, which is kind of a you know, wrap up, they do this every day. They do this every day for eight days. Why? Because that's what the law says to do. On the eighth day, they have an assembly because that's what the law says to do. Every day they are hearing from scripture and they are obeying. And they have this very great joy. Folks, it is my job to explain this to you, to, to spend the time Right? That, that, that's why I take the hours to, to read and to study and to listen and to pray. That's on me. And the Lord, the Lord will come before me and I will have to give an account for how well I did this. I will have to give an account for how well I preached to you. Did I explain it well? Did I give you good ideas? Did I help you to obey? But I can help you understand and I can give you advice and I can tell you what it means, but I cannot obey for you. Only you can obey. That's on you. And you will stand before the Lord one day and give an account for everything you heard. Just as I will give an account for everything I said, you will give an account for how you came into this room and how you left it and what you did with it. And you ought to come in Every time saying to yourself what I think this passage says, I'm going to hear from God today. The Lord is going to speak to me through his word today. I wonder what he's going to say. I wonder, I wonder what he's going to say. We come with expectation and we leave. Remember, they submit. They praise and they submit. Before it ever starts, they set themselves up for submission. And then when they hear it, they do it. They submit and they obey. That's on us as listeners, just like the teaching is on me as the preacher. Right, so let me do what Nehemiah said, right? What attitude do you come with? Right? You can change that as you're driving here. You can remind yourself, I am going to hear the word of God preached. God has promised he's in that. He has commanded that we do it, and it's one of the ways his spirit speaks to us. I'm going to hear from God today. And then you've got to listen attentively. For some of you, that means you should take notes. For some of you, that means you should knit. 
Because you listen better when you're doing something like knitting with your hands. I don't know. Like Nehemiah says, go have lunch. Whatever you have is up to you. I don't know what you need to do so you can pay attention, but you got to pay attention. And then I've got to do my part. I've got to put in the time. I've got to put in the work. I've got to make sure that when you walk out of here, if you want to, you understand this passage. And then it's back on you. You've got to walk out of here and obey. Whatever it is God has spoken to you, you know, and I've told you, some of my favorite things are the people who come up to me the next week and say, oh, thank you so much for that sermon. When you said such and such, wow, the Lord really spoke to me, and I went out immediately and did that, and I'm thinking, I didn't talk about that last week. Where, where, like, where did you get something about going back to your best friend and, and apologizing for something you said when you were six? I don't, and I'll go back and listen to the whole message. It's not there. God speaks through God's word. God speaks through preaching. I'm going to do my part and say what I think I should say. And between you and me, the Holy Spirit is going to take it and disseminate it to each of you as you need to hear it. That's why you can come in with an expectation that God will speak to you. If you'll pay attention. If you'll do the work, if you'll prepare yourself, if you're submitted and you're going to obey. You know, James says, if you need wisdom, ask. God loves to give it. But if you doubt, and doubt there means go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If you're like, well, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Don't expect God to tell you anything. Why would he tell you something when you're not going to do it? He's not your counselor. He's your Lord. When he tells you, you do it. Don't go to your boss and say, hey, what do you want me to work on today? And your boss doesn't want you to work on that. You're like, oh, maybe I will. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. Like, no, I ain't gonna fly. Right? You, you come to your advisor and get that. The Lord's not your advisor. The Lord's your boss. He's your Lord. You come to him and you say, what do I do here? He tells you. You do it. Because we are submitted before him. That's, that's on you. I, I will do everything I can every week to make the scriptures make sense to make them real. So you walk out of here like, oh, I get it. But then you got to run with it. I can't run with it for you. You've got to come in expecting God to speak to you. And when he does, you got to go out and do it. And then at least as I read this, your joy will be very great. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. I mean, that's really kind of you. Obedience is, is commanded. I mean, I think of the parable you told about the, the servants who do everything they're supposed to do, and then their comment is, well, you know, we're not that great servants. We've only done the minimum. It's really kind of you that, that you call us to obey. You insist on it. You're very clear that you are the great God, that we are your servants. We are your children. You are the Father. And yet then you reward obedience. Obedience brings joy. Easy obedience and hard obedience. It all brings joy. Thank you. That's really kind of you. I pray, Holy Spirit, for my brothers and sisters, that, that as we, we talk about preaching, as we talk about what we're doing right now, how, how we should think about it, how we should come, what we should be doing while we're here, what we should expect, what our attitude should be. Holy Spirit, I pray you take all that and speak to people. Because you know we're all different and we all have different issues and some of us are good at one thing and some of us are good at another. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take all that I have said and that you will sift it and sort it for people so that everyone hears the right thing. So, so that everyone understands what you are saying to them, whether that means they change their attitude or they become more submissive 
Whether that means they need to obey here or they don't need to obey there. Whatever you have to say to us, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit. And you know, I pray this every week. But I pray it here out loud. I pray that you would take everything that I've said, sift it, sort it, do whatever needs to be done so that each of us hears what we need to hear. So each of us hears from you. Even if it's something I never said. You you don't need my voice to speak to people. Jesus, we pray, you would speak to us. We want to be better at preaching. I want to be better at explaining. My brothers and sisters want to be better at listening, hearing, obeying. Jesus, be gracious to us. You want this too. That's why it's in Scripture. Be gracious to us and grant this request that, that we might hear from you every week in your preached word so that we become more like you, so that our lives please you more and more. And Jesus, we really do ask you this in your name because you want this and we want this. So we pray that you would do it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, we'll close this part of our service as we always do by celebrating together. The only reason we get to obey is because of what Jesus did. The only reason God speaks to us is because that wall of hostility between us and the Lord, Jesus shattered it with his body on the cross. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll encourage you. There's four stations, one in each corner, and there's one down here on my right that has gluten-free if you need that. After I pray and say amen, just get up, go to whichever station is closest for you or looks like it's got the shortest line. Get the bread, get the cup, take it back to your seats. We'll take communion together. I'll lead us in that. So pray with me again. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We say that here every time. Thank you. The only reason that I can stand up here and preach to people is because of what you have done. The only reason we can sit here and listen is because of what you have done. You are, as Hebrews says, our our great high priest who has sacrificed himself for us so that we come before God with boldness, just like what Nehemiah will say. We can run to you. Your joy is our refuge. I don't think he knew what that meant, the price that you would have to pay, Lord Jesus, that we could run into your Father's presence with no fear of condemnation. But we know it. We're not 400 years before what you did. We are 2,000 years after. We know what it cost you that the joy of the Lord can be our fortress. Thank you. We are so grateful. Lord, we take the bread and the cup again just as you commanded us to remember. We obey you. You command us to do this and so Jesus, we do it in obedience and indeed in great joy. Amen.